I'm your host, Aaron Pym, and what I like to hear do here on the pod is bring fun, sexy guests in the studio to talk about sex and sexuality with me. And this is someone of their their new person on the sonar network. So I'm so excited to expose expose all of you in decent exposure, expose all of you to their podcast, and um, just have a lovely conversation with this person. So without further ado, please welcome to the Mike, host of Finders Grievers, Shohana Sharman. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you? Welcome. Welcome to the Sonar, baby. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Oh my god, me too. My absolute pleasure. No, it's really cool is when like somebody comes on the network and has a podcast that is oh so very different than mine but they want to come on the pod and chat with me i uh, so thank you so much of course i love the bed post i used to love your shows you know but <laughs> the pre-pandemic so uh yeah. i'm all yeah. i'm all about it i'm here for it yay okay amazing your game your game <laughs> <laughs> absolutely i love it so okay why don't we start just to like talk about your pod a little bit because i want people to know the amazing podcast that you have started so tell me about finders grievers yeah, so Finders Grievers is a podcast about grief, if you didn't catch that. Uh, it's a podcast about the people we've lost and the lessons we have picked up along the way. My inspiration for this podcast was I lost my mom in 2017, which was devastating. I was only 27 at the time, mm. felt like I didn't know what I was doing with my life, and then suddenly here's another blow and I think especially losing a parent at 27 it's hard at any age but especially yeah. at, at an age where all my peers still had parents it was a really excruciatingly isolating experience where I couldn't explain to my my closest friends what I was going through mm-hmm. um, and what really helped me that year was actually finding other people who had lost a parent especially other comedians or other comedians my age who had lost a parent, those were the people that I felt like we could just talk for hours about, you know, this very specific experience of losing a parent and all the big feelings you have going through it, right? Like that you can't really explain to your other peers. Um, Being able to talk to those people and finding connection in that was like, it was like water in the desert. Honestly, mm. I needed it so much. Um, and that connection was really healing. And that's what sort of helped me, you know, survive that year, really. And that those connections are still the ones that um, I rely on very much in, in times of need. So 
And now you can ask them all on your podcast as guests now. 100%. Exactly. <laughs> that, it is that. It's me recording conversations with people I love yeah. about grief and just putting it out into the world being like, look, grief is going to happen to all of us. Uh, whether you want to admit it to yourself or not, it is a universal experience. At some point, you will go through it. So yeah. why not have some conversations to listen to to kind of prepare you? Not that these are preparing anyone, but I think it's just like uh, taking away that taboo of talking about death and loss and grief. It's a very taboo topic still, mm -hmm. which is really strange to me because it's literally universal. Yeah. But I think there's such a highlight in society of like, only share your happiness. Like when you're sad, we're told to sort of close off or we do naturally close off and I don't want to do that anymore. I think we just need to be more open and honest about every part of the every part of human mortality. So, yeah, yeah, that's... totally. See, I'm trying to like um, find not that not that you and I wouldn't have anything to talk about asking you to be on my pod. Like literally, Mariana from Sonar was like, "I don't know what the hell <laughs> you two are going to talk about." And I'm like, "What?" I'm like, "No, we will find lots of things to talk about." But I mean, then there is me trying to draw connections between like our subject matter. You know what I mean? Of mm -hmm. the two podcasts, and even you just saying, you just describing it in a way that it is taboo to talk about and yeah. hey I'm gonna talk about it because community is important you know support from other people that have gone through the same thing hearing about their stories you know how they pulled through how they are healing how they move forward afterwards that's like that that feels um, very close to like why I started my podcast, right? Mm. Because it's taboo to talk about sex. And yeah. my main thing, like I didn't have any like lofty goals starting this podcast. I was like, let's just talk about it. Let's just talk yeah. about it. And, you know, people I'm sure will pick up the little gems of information and inspiration and whatever along the way and support like, you know, like hearing what other people have gone through, if it's similar to you relating to people, if all that stuff happens, great, but let's just talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And I think I pretty much approach my podcast about grief the same way, where I think there's often this expectation of like, if you're going to talk about a difficult topic, you need to be perfect. It needs mm. to be so perfect. You need to handle it with the greatest care, which I agree, you should definitely handle these topics with respect and care. But I think that's another way of sort of closing it off, right? It's sort of saying like, unless you're authorized, you can't talk about these topics. And I just want to be like, I am not a grief expert, totally hear you on that. But I have grieved and I've talked to a lot of people who have grieved and I've found some really common, you know, experiences that I think it would help people to to just be able to listen to them, to, to be able to share it, to have an outlet where you can share this with the world and say like, look, if you're grieving and you're feeling isolated and alone, you're not alone. You're literally so not alone. Just that reminder enough is alone is like that reminder is enough for people. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think Hey man, the the more taboo is it the it is the more I want to talk about it. <laughs> oh, I know I'm a rule breaker too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that that really that really resonates with me too. Like, be messy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Let's be messy because like the subject matter is messy. 
Um, so to try and present a super manicured curated version of it, like same with my podcast, like, you know, I, they're, we're mostly just people. Yeah. We may work in some sort of field of sex and sexuality, but half the time I get other people on the sonar network. I'm like, let's just talk. Let's just talk. Because (laughs) honestly, those conversations can be more insightful to some listeners than having a sex educator come on here. Um, and give like a presentation about a topic. You know? Yeah, 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 and that perfectly manicured, like curated image, like that's so true for grief too. Like anytime you watch a show about grief on TV, what you're seeing, I mean, yeah. I think we've gotten better, but so often there's like this, you know, hero's journey narrative arc to grief, and let me tell you, there is no hero's journey. It's <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it is a fucking mess from start to finish. I, I lost my mom four years ago, and there are still days when I wake up and I'm like cool just gonna feel like trash today cool and that that's okay it's okay to admit that and it's okay to share that with people i think so often we're told that you're supposed to grieve on a timeline like the first year is really hard but after that you should really like get your shit together and not Mm -hmm. you know not make a big big fuss about it and i just want to be like no 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 you don't get to put a timeline on me (laughs) i i do this how i want yeah yeah totally and even that mm. nugget of information, like, is so, I feel like would be so valuable to a lot of people, mm-hmm. to a lot of people to hear, you know what I mean? Because, yeah, as you, as you said, like, what's presented in media, right? Like, you know, if there's a fictional character in a movie, they, they have figured out their shit by the end of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> And tied absolutely. up in a neat little bow, you know? Yeah. They fall in love at the end. They find their perfect person. The end. And they are healed. Uh, no. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 The fact that it's like a lifelong, a lifelong thing that you're going to deal with. Yeah. 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 And same with like, again, just trying to draw parallels. I'm like, you know, nobody has learned everything about sex that that there is to learn. Like you never are suddenly yeah. a sex guru and know everything. You know what I mean? You you can always learn. You can always learn from different partners, different people. It's always, it's an ongoing journey. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think the label sex positive is like, oh, I'm a sex expert. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, you really can't be. Like, it's something that you're always going to have to be seeking out, you know, new experiences, new knowledge, you know, even like just shit like new technology, new toys and shit that's come out. It's like, oh, my God. Wow. (laughs) So much, so much has happened in the past like 10 years. You can't say, you know, you're an expert in a field that is so, that evolves so quickly and so fast. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So is, um, I, one, one topic, one thing I definitely do want to talk about you, (laughs) talk about you. I'll talk to myself (laughs) about you. That makes sense. Um, to talk about with you is therapy. Um, because I'm a huge, I'm a huge therapy goer. I I have two therapists. (laughs) I legitimately have two therapists. What, what are your thoughts on therapy? What is your experience with it specifically? Like when it comes to grief for you? Ooh, love therapy. Uh, actually had therapy this morning and Yeah, my therapist and I have started doing a thing where as we're talking, I have a little notepad on my lap where I just like write down things that are resonating. Mm-hmm. Um, and this morning I wrote, I, I was doing that exercise during the therapy session and then, you know, it ended and I looked at the notepad and it just said, disappointment, list, <laughs> job, friendship. <laughs> and it was just like a list of disappointments. And I was like, "Woo, not a good week, wow, huh? Okay. <laughs> 
I was like, all right, we got to reframe some stuff. It's fine. It was really good. Like, it was a great session because, like, I was talking about how I was experiencing frustrations and disappointments and what I wanted to do about it. But I didn't write down any of the what I wanted to do about it. I just wrote down, like, disappointments and then the list of things that I was disappointed <laughs> You tuned out halfway through. You forgot yeah. you had a pen in your hand. Yeah, I get that. I was I like, that. I forgot about the action items. Um, oops. The whole thing I should have been writing. Yeah, oops. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good tip. Like, that's something I think I used to not do, and now I most definitely do, is have a pen and paper, like, right nearby so you can be writing down exactly all the things you said you know your homework essentially what you should be thinking about and what resonated with you and whatnot very helpful yeah it makes such a difference it really helps so i've been with my therapist for um six years now Mm -hmm. um i've been in and out of therapy since i was like 15 like in high school i was seeing a counselor in university i saw a couple of counselors but it never really stuck until um i found this person and found the right one i met her when Yeah, and I met her when I was 25, I think, at a time in my life where I was, like, finally ready to be like, okay, I'm committing to this. Because before that, I would have, you know, see a counselor for, like, a couple of months and then be like, okay, I think I'm fixed now. I think Mm -hmm. think we're good. And you just move on. (laughs) I just needed a little tune-up, which is fine. Some people do, right? But I was like, "Eh, I just needed a couple and I'm fine. It's like, okay, but you could choose to, like, go a lot deeper or you could choose to just deal with the current things you're dealing with and once they're over it's over you know what I mean you can approach it yeah lots of different ways but yeah I've, and, I've been there I've done that <laughs> and I had friends who kind of did that tune-up thing like one of my best friends you know went to therapy for six months for this one specific thing she was struggling with mm-hmm. and after six months she felt like she had a handle on it and she was like cool I don't need to go to therapy anymore mm-hmm. um so I had seen those cases and I was like okay I think I could do the same thing and so Throughout university, I would just be with like a new counselor or therapist for three months and then be like, all right, I think I'm healed. And then a year later, oh, shit, back at it. Um, So, yeah, I've been with my current therapist for six years. Um, She she was my therapist when I lost my mom. And she was I mean, I don't remember much from that year of sessions, but I mean, thank God. Thank God for her. Um, I think, I don't know, I love, I love therapy and I'm always telling everyone, like, I feel like every human should have a therapist. I know. I wish it was accessible for everyone. That's the thing, yeah. right? That's the yeah, thing. For sure. Yeah. But I think, like, it's just, life is so messy and I think we're never prepared for how messy it is until <laughs> we're living least, in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not surprised. until you're living <laughs> time you look around you're like god I thought I had this figured out um and then you come out with a list that just says disappointment <laughs> like oh god damn it god damn it I thought wow. I got this okay <laughs> um but yeah so when I was uh when I lost my mom uh I d- that year in therapy my therapist kept saying not like forcing me but she was really insistent she was like I think you should try to write some of these things down, like Hmm. all these things that I was feeling. She was like, because also I was seeing her once a week and like I could call her during the week if I was having, you know, like a moment of crisis. Mm -hmm. But most of the time I was just kind of like, 
you know, I, I got it. I'll see you once a week. And I, I literally, I remember thinking to myself, like, anytime I was having a bad moment, I would just, like, put it away in my therapist box mm-hmm. and be like, okay, when they see her on Thursday, I'll pull this one out and we'll, we'll fix it. Up. Yeah. And she was like, I think you should start writing some of these things down because I think we can only do so much in an hour together. But if you can write these things down in a notebook and bring it, then we can, you know, read it, talk about it, all those. Like, I think we're missing the bigger picture mm-hmm. from you just sitting here for an hour trying to remember everything that happened. Yeah, that's the thing, for sure. Trying to remember what you needed to talk about. It's like, yeah. oh, there were things. Hmm, yeah. I don't know. I guess uh, I'll just, like, stream of consciousness talk for an hour until I <laughs> remember. It's like, mm, exactly. not the best use of your time. <laughs> And then you remember at like minute 48 and you're like, ah, yeah, exactly. You're like, how do I unpack this in three minutes? Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she was asking me to write things down. And so I started, you know, kind of trying to write, write down what I was feeling. It was really bad. (laughs) Like anything that was coming out, not to like judge myself on, you know, the things that I was writing while I was going through this incredibly difficult time in my life. But I think the all that was coming out was just like pure pain. Mm. And I think the other thing I found was like I was trying to write about my mom and I couldn't like I just couldn't write about like her as a person. I could only I felt like I was only writing about her as like. I don't know, it's like the way she lived in my head, you know, the way she way she was a part of my life as my mother. I could not put that on paper. Like, it just, it felt impossible. It was like she was too big to put on paper. Um, so I was writing about, like, you know, I feel sad, I feel this, I feel that. But I was never writing about her or, like, you know, here's what I thought back to this memory. If I if I was having a day where I thought back to, like, a specific memory of her, I couldn't actually write the memory down because it was like, oh, like, I can't capture every every part of this. So yeah, that whole, that first year was just like kind of me trying to write about this experience of grieving and, and failing to do so. Like I just, I couldn't write about it. Um, And I didn't actually manage to write something related to my grief until like two years later. So it took, it took a really long time, but regardless, like, you know, my therapist was wonderful and she She's also, and I, I didn't realize this until much later, but she's actually pretty close in age to my mom. Mm. Um, and so when when I lost my mom, I think in a way it kind of surprised her too. I didn't, like, again, this didn't come up at the time, but years later, like when I was talking about, you know, thinking back to that year, she was like, yeah, at the time I remember thinking how young you were that, like, you know, to lose your that, that to lose a parent and how you were handling it. I don't think you saw like how, quote unquote, well you handled it. And I just was like, what? <laughs> I felt like a bag of shit the whole time. Yeah, I was, I was like a complete garbage dumpster was, fire. Yeah, I was a disaster. Like I literally I remember after I lost my mom, I, when I had to go back to work, I realized very quickly that I couldn't cry at work. So 
I and I was still like I was crying several times a day because it was it was so fresh. It was so raw. So I made myself a schedule for crying, which was like I would wake up in the morning, uh, you know, when I was uh, take a shower and, you know, like give myself a quick cry in the shower, then get yep. ready for work, <laughs> go to work with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the shower get cry. ready for yep. work, you know, go to work. <laughs> If you need a quick cry on the way to work, that's fine. Like, there's, like, a 10-minute walk from the subway station to work. So just, like, get it out of the way in that walk. Then, you know, once you're in the office, you're at your desk, do your job, blah, blah, blah. During lunchtime, I would pick a, I'd pick a seat in the lunchroom um, that was sort of away from everyone and kind of was, like, hidden behind a wall. Mm-hmm. And I would pick that seat so that I could cry (laughs) like I would spend like anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes crying over my lunch break then you know finish lunch come back to my desk do my job Uh, at the end of the day I would you know on my way back home there was a walk from the subway station to to the bus and I'd have to walk across this parking lot and Mm -hmm. that parking lot was like my cry spot like I would just like cry through this parking lot and be like all right cool got through another day I want to be dead like just yeah just barely just treading water literally yeah like I feel I feel dead inside and nothing matters and so that's how I was feeling that entire year and I feel like when you're going through that you're like oh everyone can see what a disaster I am but my therapist and even some of my friends said like no you showed up to work every day you you know showed up to your comedy gigs every day you like did everything you needed to do you didn't slip and at the same time I'm like right to the outside world I didn't slip on the inside I literally felt like a disaster and also I did some like I did some not so smart things that year like I started Uh, I started drinking quite heavily, like it was, you know, I had always enjoyed, you know, drinks with friends, but that year I was sort of dealing with the sadness and trauma of losing my mom by drinking a lot. Mm -hmm. And I also, that same year started, you know, kind of using sex as an escape too. Like I was Mm. hooking up with people and just kind of like being very careless with other people's feelings. Right. Um, which was not a nice thing to do at all. And looking back, I really regret it. But at the time, I was just like, I was so empty inside. I was like, I just surviving, I, just trying. I to... want to care. Yeah, I, like I wanted to. I wanted to be a better person. I just felt like I literally couldn't. Um, well, I feel like if anybody had any even little glimpse into what you're going through, would not hold that against you today. <laughs> if you, you know, if anybody that was hurt. Because of Shohana, you know, <laughs> being a dick, <laughs> sleeping with you and maybe ghosting you or something like that. I'm pretty <laughs> sure they're fine with it now. <laughs> like, yeah, I think know, so. They're I think fine. They're. They'll be um... okay. They'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're very happy now. So I'm happy for them. Um, there you go. <laughs> But yeah, like the not it was, the worst it, thing you could have done. Let's put it that way. <laughs> that's what I keep going back to. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's my winning card. Is like could have could have been worse. Um, been a lot worse. But yeah, yeah, but yeah. So I you survived, and here you are, and yeah, you did it. I did it. I did it, and it still feels like th- that's the thing about loss. Is like I quote unquote managed. And like every day I'm managing without, without my mom, every day I'm managing this new me, this new me that has a dead mom 
Like, I think that was a, that was a reality that hits you. Like when you lose a parent, I remember like right away, you're, you just feel different. You're like, oh, something's, something's off. Like I don't have a mom anymore. I don't have my safety net. Mm-hmm. And that, I remember that year, like looking in the mirror in the morning, you know, getting ready for work, I would look at my face and I'd be like, I look different. I look like a new person. Like I felt, I didn't recognize myself. Um, and like that, that new person in the mirror, I've now gotten used to her. Like now I see her every morning and I'm like, yeah, you are, your, your mom died, but you're living, you're managing, you're cool. You got it. You got this. You got another day. Um, How are you different? Do you think? Um, I feel like I grew up like 10 years mm-hmm. that year. That I really like sense, very, yeah. very quickly, just like so many, so many things felt different on the, on the inside. And I was making decisions on the outside that were also very unlike me. So one of the, ve- one of the biggest things was, um, she died in March and later that year in December, I moved out on my own for the first time. Like I just was, I wasn't, I didn't want to live with my, in my family home anymore. Our family home felt like a shell without her. Like it just, it didn't feel right. It felt like a cold, empty place that I had to go to every night to go to sleep. Um, and I just, I kind of hated it. And when I moved out, it wasn't easy. You know, I made, I was only 27 at the time. I made decisions that, again, they weren't the best decisions at the time. I wasn't thinking straight, but I made them and now I'm here. I'm, I've managed to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was like the biggest thing of like really fully coming into myself and going like, nope, I'm just, I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to have my own sort of place in the world. Yeah, it was, my mom always th- thought of me as like her little baby chick. Like she was very, very protective of me. Mm-hmm. And after she died, you know, realizing that safety net is gone, that protection was gone. I was like, okay, well, if that protection is gone, then I don't need anyone's protection. I'm just going to do my own thing. Yeah. Um, and I went out into the world and here Leave we are. Nest. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that was like the biggest, biggest change. But I think even, and like now four years later, I'm still noticing, like, I still have, you know, weeks where we talk about in therapy, like how I'm different now. Mm-hmm. from how I was before like when my mom was alive my mom always wanted me to you know get married and settle down that was a big that's something I think you know a lot of moms want for their daughters and I think yeah. especially my mom being a fairly conservative Muslim woman like she just wanted me to settle down and be taken care of mm-hmm. and in my 20s, like, I thought I really wanted that, too. I was so sure. Like, yeah, like, I think I think I just need to, like, find someone and get married and settle down. But after she died, I remember thinking, like, do I want that? Like, I was kind of, for the first time, and I think part of it was just because, like, well, my mom always wanted to see my wedding. If my mom's not going to be there at my wedding, do I really need to have a wedding? Yeah. And that became like, do I really need to get married? And now four years later, it's like, do I need to be in relationships? I don't know. <laughs> do I need any of it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, do I need people? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Still, still figuring that one out. Um, 
but yeah it just it made me very independent in a way that i didn't expect and i am now 31 um i'm turning 32 in october and i keep thinking about the fact that like when my mom was 32 she had me she had already been married for five years she had had my brother already and by the time she turned 32 she had me and it's I know it's not an apples to apples comparison, but it is like interesting to think about like where she was in life and where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, for the longest time, I felt like, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not where I need to be. And I think it wasn't until this year that I've really started being like, I think I'm where I need to be. I think it's more just like accepting where I am. Yeah, you're on it's, your own track. Yeah. Yeah. So as independent as I am, there's still this part of me that like keeps going back to like what I should have been. Mm-hmm. And I have to keep mm-hmm. reminding myself of like, nope, doesn't matter what I should have been. Uh, I am what I am. And that's that. And that's enough. And that's yeah. beautiful. And that's, yeah, successful. And that's all of those, all of those good positive words. Yeah. <laughs> Despite it being not exactly where you thought you might be. Yeah. But I yeah. think I'm actually happier here. Like, I don't think I would have, I mean, who knows, right? Yeah. But who's like, to say? But. Who's to say? But that's lovely to say that, you, that you're like, I'm happy, you know, I'm happy with where I'm at. That's, that's a huge thing. I mean, me going to therapy for a long time as well. <laughs> that's like, a, that's a quite a huge impactful statement to be like. Yeah. yeah. I mean, bigger picture, I'm pretty happy. Yeah. Smaller picture, wrote a list of disappointments this morning. <laughs> yeah. So just kind of, you got to keep it all in perspective. Uh... <laughs> Let's take a moment to talk about our lovely sponsors, shall we? First of all, Oasis Aqua Lounge is a water-themed sex club located right here in Toronto at 231 Mutual Street. Oasis is inclusive of all genders and orientations and is shame-free when it comes to pleasure and play. Check them out at their website, oasisaqualounge.com. Unicorn Collaborators is the local leather business of two queer unicorns. They specialize in luxurious and colorful harnesses for all body types, and even craft non-conventional ones for your thigh, fist, or foot. Check them out at their Etsy shop under Unicorn Collaborators. Lovecrafters Toys is a non-gendered fantasy sex toy line that makes weird and wonderful dildos in the shape of tentacles, unicorn horns, mermaid tails, and more. Their high-quality silicone is hand-poured right here in Toronto. Check out their Etsy shop at Lovecrafters Toys. ComeAsYouAre.com is a trans-owned, trans-operated sex shop that also happens to be feminist and anti-capitalist. They carry only the best sex toys and want to give you the best price possible. Next time, use the coupon code BEDPOST, that's B-E-D-P-O-S-T, when checking out at ComeAsYouAre.com. And so you were talking about like uh, this idea of like kind of kind of letting the marriage thing, the kids thing possibly fall away, even the relationship thing. What about like so uh, just switching gears slightly? Um, what about the sex thing? Is that something that you still find is like feeding you or has that also kind of fallen away? Yes. Still super into sex, um, just, <laughs> super, just generally. Super into super, it. Super into it. Um, it's weird, right? I think in my 20s, I 
always like treated sex like this thing that I needed to do mm-hmm. to hold on to relationships, which sounds incredibly unhealthy because yeah, uh, yeah. it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, because it is. <laughs> yeah, because it was it was the worst thing. But yeah, um, been there, so, been there too. So yeah, so like yeah. I would end up in these relationships where I was either using sex to like you know, hold on to the person or just, yeah, just like not, never really enjoying sex for what it was. Or I was going the extreme opposite, which was like just one night stand after one night stand. And then never really enjoying those either because I didn't necessarily feel, you know, comfortable or safe. So Mm -hmm. it just, I don't know. I feel like my twenties, I had a lot of sex, but I don't, really feel like I was I it a lot of it was good yeah um yeah in my 20s when I look back I like think of the same thing the reasons why I had sex was because like I could feel them like getting away from me like I could feel us drifting apart let's say or like Mm -hmm. um I kind of knew maybe maybe the breakup was like on the horizon you know or I knew I wasn't happy. My intentions like to have sex at that time would be like, I just want to, I want to be closer to them. Like I want to mm-hmm. feel close to them. Cause I don't basically. So, yeah. you know, and I mean, f- wanting the intention of having sex to feel close to someone is that's a fine thing to do. That's a great mm-hmm. reason to have sex actually. But I think, yeah, in my twenties, I, it was probably like, I'm going to say it was like in the desperate kind of category of like the, you know, please like me, please love me, please stay, please like more of that rather than like, let's just do this thing where we're going to feel really close and intimate and vulnerable together. It was like, uh. (laughs) (laughs) yeah, clawing at them. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And the other thing was like, I, so I came out as bi when I was 15 Mm-hmm. But wow, it was, yeah, but I, it was very much not accepted in, um, in my family. Like it wasn't like queerness wasn't even in my family's vocabulary to okay. be quite honest. So I didn't come out to my family. I was only out to my, fa- uh, to my friends for like over a decade mm-hmm. and I didn't come out to my family and when I say my family, really, I just mean my brother and my sister-in-law because I didn't get to come out to my mom. She passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't come out to my brother till I was like 28. And I also, what I didn't realize is that in my early 20s, like me not coming out to my family was also feeding into me not letting myself get into relationships with women. Like I would mm-hmm. hook up with women, but I would never be like, I'd be like, oh, that's a one time thing. Like it's, it's nothing like it's, I was kind of it's still trying sex. to, yeah. yes, yes. I was still trying to convince myself like, oh, it's fine. Like you can just like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Just like, you know, keep dating men and you'll, you'll figure and it out. Well, I'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> we'll so, make everyone happy. Everyone will be, yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. not disappointing, angering, hurting anyone here. Yeah. And so it wasn't until like I was in I was think I was like 28 when I had my first full like real relationship with a woman. And I think that was very eye opening because it the sex was very different from relationships with men Mm -hmm. for very obvious reasons, but also for not so obvious reasons, I think, because there was just 
an element of comfort that was there that that like playfulness that was there that wasn't that hadn't always been there with men so I think like really I didn't start exploring my sexuality to its fullest until I turned 28 mm-hmm. and I'm 31 now so, so <laughs> and I've spent the ago. last mm-hmm. yeah and I spent the last year in isolation so not like <laughs> really yeah. got yeah. really got yeah. like two good years of sex um can we just bring <laughs> our age back a year like can we just like I know because to year- say because to say you're a year older like in the whole you know what I mean like can we just all not count <laughs> this next birthday or so, or love last birthday one of those yeah I would and I would honestly love that because honestly same with me when I'm like trying to track things I'm like I've been doing this for this many years and it's like well but like for a year and a bit you know I was like it's just it's just so bad yeah make it end let it end. <laughs> let it end please <laughs> let us out just yeah <sighs> yeah but, but yeah so it's it's still quite new for you then yeah so in practice. I in practice like really letting myself enjoy sex to the fullest you know letting myself be playful with myself letting myself be you know naughty yeah, not with myself. take it like, not take it so seriously and like, yeah yeah Yes. Yeah, all of that is is still fairly new, so I'm I'm really enjoying it. But yeah, yeah, it's still new, and there are still you know old habits die hard. So there are still times where I'm like, oh, sex is for reproduction, and then I'm like, nope, that's not. Let's not go back to that. <laughs> We're not going back there. Little voice. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, because there is still there is still that part of me that's like you know my mom's voice being like, find a husband, you know, settle down, have kids, and then I'm like. No, not ready. <laughs> Too horny. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not no yet. marriage, just horny. Yeah. Yeah, we're not done yet. Um, and I mean, that's uh, that's so true of a lot of people's journeys, though, that they really are coming into their own se- sexually, like, late 20s, early 30s. So the yeah. fact that, like, you know, the trend generations ago was always to get married, you know, a lot earlier, a lot younger. It's like, well, we didn't even really know... Like what? What we wanted yet? We didn't even know how to do sex yet, really. Yeah. Like if I think of the way I had sex, you know, in my early twenties, I was Oof. like, oh god, like oh, what a, a again, like what a dumpster fire. Like <laughs> I, I honestly wasn't centering my own pleasure literally in any way. Like until yep. I was same, like late twenties, early thirties, when I was mm-hmm. actually starting to feel comfortable enough to um, take up space. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of interesting, actually, because I so I was dating someone um, when I was I think I was 24 or 25. When we first started dating, Um, we dated for a while, it didn't work out, we broke up. And then we kept in touch. And then we kind of hooked up again a couple years later when I was like 27. This was after my mom died, made some bad decisions. Um, <laughs> when we slept had, with an ex. Don't judge yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So slept with him and it was like, it was good. You know, it was fine. It was good. Um, but then I think it was like two years after this. So it must have been 2019. Yes, 2019. We hooked up again. And this was after I was, um, you know, after the relationship with the woman where like I had, this was after the part where like I started sort of enjoying sex fully you had had some good sex at that point yeah I had I knew I knew what was good 
And it was so funny because, like, he was like, man, that was so different. I was like, what? And he was like, that was so different from you. Like, you have never been like, like, it was great for both of us. And he was just like, I feel like in all the years that I've known you, I've never seen you have that much fun. And I was like, yeah, man. <laughs> like, yeah, sex is fun now for me. Who knew? It's great. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was really funny. And like, you know, we're he and I are still good friends. And like, we haven't really talked about it since then. But I, I want to ask him like, I don't know, like, I wish I had like this chart of like, <laughs> like where I could track like all the all the different experiences. That would be bananas. I should not do that. But <laughs> hey, some people do sex spreadsheets. It's it's wild. I love really? it. Really? Oh my god. Yeah, I'm so envious of people that that do stuff like that. Yeah, even masturbation um, spreadsheets. What? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's just like a way, obviously, to like just learn about yourself real quick. Because when you put something on a chart, it's like you see patterns, then you would regularly intuit them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like realize them if you didn't actually write them down and track them. Like you, you tend to see what works quicker, right? Then you would regularly feel something's not working. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you can then like, you know, try a new strategy, try a new toy, try a new partner, try a new whatever it is, right? <laughs> new positions, new anything, like a new place to have sex in, like stuff like that. Yeah. And I, those are like the real sex nerds. Like, I'm like sex nerd light. <laughs> like, like these are... <laughs> sex nerd advanced. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is the advanced, yeah, advanced Dungeons and Dragons here. Like, um... <laughs> But yeah, um, that is interesting, though, because I've always also had the thing where I've like slept with someone or like I dated someone and then it had been, you know, maybe like five years in between and then slept with them before and had similar comments. It's pretty Mm -hmm. cool because it's like something that I didn't notice happening in myself, which it sounds like kind of similar to you where you're like, what different? I don't know. Like and even like they're like you even just look different your energy is different like your body is different you carry yourself differently um Mm -hmm. let alone all the other stuff you know what I mean so it's just it's kind of interesting because I think we don't um again speaking of that chart thing I don't I don't think we realize how much we learn and accumulate and the experience points that we get Mm -hmm. along the way. And then when somebody says that, it's like, oh yeah, I guess I do. I guess I have learned a shit ton since then about what I like and whatever else. And again, like for me, it's like exactly that. But I think also it puts, we have been taught to put such an emphasis on relationships and like the relationship working out Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that, you know, if you break up with someone, it's considered a failure, like, oh, that relationship failed. But then you're not acknowledging like how much you learned from that relationship, not just, you know, about relationships, but also just about sex. And then like you have sex with someone after five years and they're like, hey, man, you got like this was great. This was a lot better. And you're like, oh, shit. Right. All those breakups in the middle, like they actually helped. (laughs) These were you were like connecting, collecting bonus points the entire way. And you didn't even know. Totally. Yeah, I was doing a consult with somebody who is just kind of beginning sex work as well. And they're Mm -hmm. kind of in a dynamic where they're like, "Uh, I don't know, this might not be the right client to explore this with me. And I'm like, hey, even if this ended up being a short term thing, and your original intention was you wanted it to be long term, I'm like, 
consider this that it's a good thing because how much information have you collected about this to move forward and find something that will work for you and and mm-hmm. like long term you know what I mean all these little you know breakups and like shorter uh, relationships that we're not expecting exactly to just change change exactly like you were saying just to change your language surrounding that of like hey, no, you, you know, you had a great connection. It was good while it lasted. What are you taking forward, you know, into your other relationships because of it? Lots of shit, I'm sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think also just, I feel like as women, there's a like a different kind of messaging too, right? I, I remember reading this article years ago that said like the average North American woman has seven sexual partners in their lifetime <laughs> and i remember reading that and i was like uh-oh <laughs> like, <laughs> oh no oh no i've made a terrible mistake <laughs> i have gone no i broke my quota um <laughs> i went over i was like oh no i made a mistake um but now i'm like why does that like I, I mean, I, I understand why that statistic exists, but I wish I hadn't read that stati- no. statistic you know at what? the time. No, you know what? That statistic, here's the thing, that statistic does not exist. That was a study a magazine did and interviewed 50 people, probably. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, depending yeah. on where the hell you saw this, it was biased, hugely mm-hmm. biased by whoever their audience was. And the people that are going to report uh you know rather than not report you're already getting biased that that way specifically like sex studies right like mm-hmm. people that are more comfortable talking about sex are going to report and people who aren't are not going to report so already the the thing is like so skewed you know what i mean so yeah i just think like if it's because like sex as a field is so underrepresented underfunded like nobody is doing studies about sex still in 2021 you yeah. know what i mean and mm-hmm. so to publish some stupid little thing that you know some little some little study like that that's so inaccurate and uh people young women you know girls are going to see it and uh, like impressionable youths are going to see that and internalize it you yeah. know like it's, it's hugely impactful to read something like that, you know, and yeah. be like, oh, oh, no, I must be ABC. I must be broken. I must be slutty. I must be, you know, I must be bad. I must be I must be lost. You know, mm-hmm. I must, you know, it just is informed so much of the negative messaging we already have as women surrounding sex. It's like yeah. so not helpful. Yeah. Hate it. <clears throat> yeah. I've talked to like, um. I have a good friend that that's a sex researcher and um, yeah, she's just so helpful to, uh, to put into perspective when you read stuff like that, just like, Mm -hmm. because there are not very many sex researchers out there at all, (laughs) but you know, anybody can publish anything like it's the internet, you know, like, yeah. So it's, it's, it's tough to get access to real information surrounding sex that's another reason it's like you know it's taboo like it's not talked about even in like scientific fields you know even in um like academic communities circles it's still not talked about so it's like double layer lots of layers of stigma yeah you know yeah 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 but have you um from all your sexual experiences as of late, 
is there something particular that you have learned about yourself um, that you wanted to share? Yeah. Um, I think what I've learned is just, how do I put this? I think just like accepting my body for what it is, the way it is, mm. and all of that. I think another like, another toxic bit of messaging that women get is like, you have to be, a, you have to look a certain way, you have to, you know, present a certain way to be sexually attractive. And I was trapped in that for a long time. I think throughout my 20s, really, I just was like, oh, I'm not hot enough. I'm not, I'm not, I really honestly thought like I wasn't hot enough to have good sex, (laughs) which is a really sad thing to think about. But often like I was having sex with people and I wasn't enjoying it. And I was like, oh, but like I shouldn't ask for what I want because I'm not hot enough. Like I just want this person to like, like me. And so if they'll like me in this like goblin state, that's what it is. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, I get, I get that. Like that thing of not wanting to take up space. Yeah. And I think like what I didn't realize is like, I was very much like, you know, quote unquote hot enough because I was already like having sex with the person. Like if I wasn't the guy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So like just realizing that and being like, right, they're already naked with me so I can just ask and it would be fine. So learning to ask has been has been a big has been a huge thing for me. Um, I think especially in my 30s. Again, because of COVID, been isolating for a while. But, like, the little <laughs> yeah. bit of 30 that I did get to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of 30. I, I asked and... And you shall I receive. Did, yeah. Definitely <laughs> received, and it was great. So, hey. so just, like, accepting my body for what it is and sort of being like, yeah, I'm definitely hot enough to be here, and I'm going to ask for what I want here. So, definitely. yeah. Yeah. If I'm hot enough to get them in the room, I'm hot enough to ask for what I actually want. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I think like women are so like we're taught to not ask. And it's just yes. like, no, man, we, we got to ask. They're not mind readers. You know, no. I mean, there, there's a whole section of the population that just don't care. And they're just having sex to masturbate their own genitals. Um, yeah. But <laughs> but, you know, even for the people that want to want to center your pleasure sometimes we're not able to to ask because yeah that's how we're cultured that's how we were fucking brought up you know yeah. what I mean? and they're not mind and, readers and even in the most ideal situation they're not mind readers yeah and yeah. i remember like in my early 20s having sex with people who were asking me like is this good for you like would you like me to do something different blah 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 and me just being like oh don't worry about it like don't yeah, worry yeah, about yeah. it like oh, yeah, just no, like just good. just, yeah. just mm-hmm. yeah whatever's good for you like are you happy like are you gonna and just making it all about the person like it was almost like I was treating sex like like a service almost yeah. which is you know like that's valid but like it shouldn't that shouldn't have been what I was doing in that relationship and so it just yeah I, I think like looking back and realizing like I'm allowed to ask. I'm allowed to enjoy this. I'm allowed to be here as much as you. Mm-hmm. And like, this really should be a 50, 50, 50, like a two way street. Um, all of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think even like the messaging that we receive is also like a lot of BOPO, but like body positivity stuff is like, that can also be toxic in its own way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that we should love our bodies no matter what they look like. You know, and yeah. it's like, well, I don't love parts of my body and that's my 
reality. That's my truth. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, so where am I getting support surrounding that? And where am I seeing that it's okay to talk about that? And to, you know, implement strategies to get me working towards, you know, like body neutrality or body positivity and stuff like that. Like recently, um, like I'm on Twitter 24 seven. So one thing recently (laughs) that was happening was like Will Smith was putting out a couple pictures of himself. I think he was just like in shorts without a shirt Mm -hmm. on and having like not the most, not that like... insanely wildly sculpted bod that you an action hero has like he Mm -hmm. didn't quite have that but he still pretty much did people were like oh so brave so brave for this (laughs) this very toned fit man to have like a couple percentages of fat around his belly because he's not you know working out to be in an action movie currently yeah. Um, like people were like, oh, so brave body positivity. Like, and it's like, what? Like fat people are looking at that and being like, fuck you. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, fuck off. Like, this is what body positivity is now. Like this gorgeous, yeah. like objectively handsome, toned, th- thin man mm-hmm. is like, that's brave now. Then where the fuck do I fit in? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, wow, where, 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 what have we become? (laughs) Why, how is it at this point? (laughs) How is it that everything starts off good? (gasps) Yeah. It's shitty. Body positivity started out great. (laughs) And now we're here. (laughs) Exactly. Now it's toxic too. Now it's. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We can't have anything nice. I think is is the end of that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I've got uh, a few minutes left with you. I wanted to end um, in on a positive note, not a toxic positive note, but a positive (laughs) note. I just want to ask you some of the things that you really love about sex. Ooh, um, I love. I'm thinking of like the sensations. (laughs) Do give? Yeah, tell me that. Um, I love the feeling of a person on top of me. I uh, think that's crush me. Yep. Just like a nice <laughs> feeling, feeling the weight of another human being. There's Weighted like, blanket me. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so nice. <laughs> um, I also love sometimes when things are going really well and you just like feel how hot your face is. <laughs> like temp- temperature hot or like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like literally, you just like feel how warm your face is, and you're like, "Oh, this is so nice." That's so nuanced. I love that. <laughs> That's like such a little. I'm always cold. Like I'm always cold. Uh, literally, sense, like I'm always wearing a sweater or like have some sort of a shawl. So like that so warm. For you to be, I'm finally warm. That's <laughs> your favorite part of sex. I mean, the two things I've mentioned so far is, like, having someone on top of me to weigh me down and being somewhat warm. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, what, do I, what do I really love about sex? I don't know. Fingering's great. Uh, no, also fingering. Um, fingering's also great. Yeah. What do you like about, what's your favorite thing about masturbating? Oh. If you um, are a masturbator. I am. Um... I like, and this is something I've been playing with more recently, is like um, using, like playing with myself, uh, playing with my breasts a little bit more. 
Mm, so yeah. I mean, I've always just been very focused on on the downstairs, and the upstairs are are also great. They're pretty fantastic <laughs> too. Yeah. Yeah. So like, giving myself a little bit more liberty with that, um, yeah. and that's been really fun. I love that. Yeah. Like for kinksters, that's always something that I recommend. I'm like, get out those nipple clamps like on your own, like use them as masturbatory devices too. like a lot of those kind of fun little toys. Like you don't have to just get the vibrator or just get the dildo, like get all the other shit that you would do with a partner too. Like, yeah. And you know, I have a, (laughs) I have a uh, very old school dildo. (laughs) That's the right word. Um, Cool. I'm fascinated like the, to know what you mean by that. Uh, like the classic, I have like the classic Jackrabbit. Oh yeah, that is old yeah. school. Yeah, okay, it's old okay. school, right? Like it, was yeah, like, no. it was like the OG. Um, it still works? It's still functioning? <laughs> I bought it very late in life. <laughs> Let's just say that. I, I did not. They, they still do make them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, but I had that and like, again, for so long I was like so focused on like, penetration must feel good and I was just mm. like it just doesn't mm. and so then I switched to you know the other uh like the bunny side of it which is more about which is more, more interesting side of it yeah yeah and it's so <laughs> much more fun and again like for years held myself back to like no penetration has to be the fun part and it's Isn't not like for some people it's just not and this is why earlier I was like fingering is great like yep. for me that's the fun part I love um, that. Yeah, I'm the so. same way with like masturbation. I do like penetration, like different types of penetration with with someone else in the room or multiple people in the room. Um, but by myself, I like never go to ben- penetration. I'm like, that's just not the way I masturbate. And I do like it here, but I don't like it here. And that's fine. That's great. Yeah, you know? yeah same. I like yeah. penetration with a person, but like... When I'm on my own, like, it's all, yeah. it's all finger town. <laughs> yeah, not my go-to move, you know? Yeah. Only if I'm reviewing a dildo. Honestly, that's <laughs> basically the only time. Hmm. If I'm reviewing a toy that's, like, a, a penetration toy, that's, like, the only time I'll actually get it out when I'm by myself. <laughs> Vibrate or me? <laughs> Vibe me, daddy. Um, <laughs> Shohana, this has been so lovely. Um, we should wrap it up. I'm wondering if you can tell all the lovely people where they can find Finders Grievers and if you want them to follow you anywhere else on social on the social medias is. Sure thing. Um, so you can find Finders Grievers on Instagram and Twitter at Finders Grievers. You can also find us on the Sonar Network, thesonarnetwork.com. Oh, yeah. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram at Soleam. So that's S-O-L-E-A-H-M. Um, yeah. Uh, That's amazing. It. For me, folks, you know where to find me by now on Twitter. I'm at the Lady Pim One. I'm Instagram at the Lady Pim. I uh, Instagram at the Bedpost Podcast. We have a Patreon. Did you get a Patreon yet? Get one. ASAP. No. Get that shit. <laughs> People want to give you money for your for your content. Okay. Um, Patreon.com. We are at the Bedpost Show. We are also on YouTube, the Bedpost Sex Show. If you want to email me for podcast stuff, it's the Bedpost Sex Show at gmail.com. If it's uh, kink and domination stuff, then you can email me at ladypim at protonmail.com. Last but not least, the lovely lady that does all the original music for my podcast. Her name is Stephanie Copeland. You can check out her shit at stephcopelandmusic.com. Lastly, but very not leastly, one huge last thank you to you, Shohana. This has been so lovely, and I do hope that you're going to get a huge, a huge influx of new listeners (laughs) (laughs) at Finders Grievers. 
And thank you, everyone that's been listening. I hope you enjoyed this one. And we'll see you next week here on the Bedpook Podcast talking about sex and sexuality. Get fucked, everybody. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. 